We again praise you, God, for allowing us this wonderful privilege to gather together under the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is by that name that we are told that was given not only as a perfect sacrifice for the penalty of our sin. But we are also told that it is by the name of Jesus Christ that man can be saved. Believing in his finished work. And we thank you, O oh God, this morning that it is with great honor that we come to, to proclaim that mighty name of Jesus Christ. And as we look into your word this morning, O oh God, I pray that you would remind us. Remind us of how wonderful you are. In the way that you have provided for us. The way that you have kept us. The way that you lead us. The way, O oh Lord God, that you honor yourself through us. And we praise you, O oh Father, for this moment, this time of your word. And we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would teach us all things. And those things that are fuzzy to our eyes, I pray, O oh God, that you would clarify them. And those things that are not clear to our thinking, I pray, O oh God, that you would make it straight. May you take your word, O Lord God, and, and apply it to our hearts. That we would not leave the same as we came in. For we would be changed. Changed and fashioned. And by a determination that we will honor you in all that we say and do. I pray, O oh God, this morning for individuals who even through this past week, have come through struggles of health. I'm grateful that, Lord God, you protected Ashley Rothamel from the blood clots that gathered in her lung. I'm thankful, God, that they did not travel to other places. The medication that she is on, I pray, O oh God, that that would relieve the and dissipate the the clots that have gathered in her lung, and I pray that you would give her strength. Thank you again, Lord, for watching over her. Thankful for the doctors who ministered to her. And we again, O oh Lord, ask that you would raise her up for your honor and for your glory. We thank you for the great news that we've received from the Fertazes that Ernesto is almost back to where he was before. Thank you that he's able to preach and teach. And I know that that's the passion of his heart. And I ask, oh God, that you would continue to strengthen him. Thank you for the success of the surgery that he had. 
We're grateful for the healing that you've given to him. And now we ask, Lord, for the continued strength as he ministers in your name through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that are here. And even though we may have lost an hour of sleep, I'm grateful that we have not been lost in you. The precious promise that no one shall pluck us from your hand. That's not just conditional, that's eternal. And I thank you, O God, that your word will speak well of you. I trust that I will speak well of your word. So those things I lack to communicate well, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen me and help me. I want to be filled with your spirit this morning in order that which I say would bring honor and glory to you and to you alone. So guide the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And may we catch another fresh glimpse of the preciousness of our Savior. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. When I got back from the state wrestling tournament yesterday afternoon, early evening it was, I recognized an interesting creature in our backyard. There was a possum who was feeding upon some leftover, if you will, uh, suet block that I changed the suet block in my suet block feeder for the birds in the winter. And the part that I have, I take out and I throw on the ground, and there he was cleaning the mess up. He wasn't in a hurry. In fact, when we drove into the driveway next to the garage door, the parsonage, he didn't move. He was not deterred by our presence. He continued on devouring the leftover suet block. Seeing him there reminded me of a story. Not to be, I can't top what Dennis had to say, but anyway... Individuals were sitting around a a table eating possum stew. It was that good that they commented to the individual that made it and said, what makes this stew so good, this possum stew? And he said, it was Himalayan stew, Himalayan possum stew. Confused as they were, they ask questions about, well, what type of possum is there in the Himalayans? And he said, well, he said, the possum that I got to make this stew, he says, I found him Himalayan alongside the road. <laughs> you did much better than I did, Dennis. I just This morning I want to finish what we began last week. And that is to look at the question 
and come to some kind of answer from a biblical perspective, the question centered upon the promise that is recorded for us in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. But yet it's the same passage that Peter remarks about in Acts chapter 2. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Because we want to finish, the question is, are we in the days? Are we presently in the time that Joel was speaking of in the book of Joel so many years ago? And Peter made mention of it in Acts chapter 2. To reset the stage, if you will, the book of Acts is the the hinge book between what is known as the Old Testament law and the beginning of what we now live in in the age of grace, also known as the church age, also known as the last days. An interesting term that we'll get to later on in the sermonic presentation. And so this book of Acts, first of all, was written by Luke in a second attempt, if you will, to satisfy the curiosity of an individual by the name of Theophilus. The Gospel of Luke was also written to the exact same individual. The Gospel of Luke highlights from a Greek perspective the very perfectness of Jesus Christ as being perfect man. Here in the book of Acts, Luke begins by saying, In the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandment to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That is the thesis statement of the book of Acts. In other words, what happens after that statement as Luke lays it out in a very wonderful, historical, and also truthful manner is the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that resurrection affects individual people. That's his thesis. Now Luke begins to lay out the argument for the proof of that thesis statement. Mrs. Fink, my English professor in Lancaster Bible College, would be pleased 
For if you did not write a thesis statement within the first paragraph of your paper, it was handed back to you with a big red X. She used to say, if you want people to know what you're talking about, tell them what you're talking about. Yes, ma'am. All of my papers needed infusion after they were struck red. But here, Peter or Luke begins to lay out his argument. He's told us what he's telling us. Now he is laying it out in a wonderful, historical, argumentative way of proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that does for individuals who will believe in him. He begins by highlighting the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he is taken away. And he tells them to wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power that comes from Holy Spirit. Highlight, if you will, in your text there with a pencil. God will not punish you for writing in his word. But it will help you to get the historical background right in there. John chapter 16, verses 5 to 15. And it was there that Jesus promised a comforter was going to come. And then Jesus highlighted what that comforter was going to do. Jesus highlighted the importance of why he had to go and others so that the comforter could come. But he also said, and the comforter is going to be sent by my father. And so what Jesus was reminding his disciples Is that that which he already told them was going to happen. Now he's giving to them the place that they have to wait for it. For he to come. Holy Spirit. They're gathered in the upper room in chapter 2. Of the book of Acts. They are hunkered down. And for the past ten days. You have to at least try to envision what was it that they were thinking. How? When will we know? When this promised gift is coming. How is he coming? When will we know he's arrived? And all those, all those questions were answered. When the Holy Spirit showed up. We're told according to the text. That when the Holy Spirit came. He appeared. In a form that could not be mistaken. First of all there was a mighty rushing wind. (laughs) Which tells me that. Holy Spirit is not bound by man-made walls or institutions. 
He's described as arriving here in Acts chapter 2. That he appeared in verse 3. He appeared to them, divided tongues as a fire, and sat on each of them. Imagine what they must have thought when they see a flame of fire land upon them. There was another instance, too, where recorded for us in the book of Exodus, God showed up in a fire. And he gave instructions to Moses. Here God shows up, the person of the Holy Spirit, his tongues of fire lands on each of them. Which, by the way, you can take a, a biblical count. It wasn't just the 12 that were in the upper room. There was probably 120 that were there. A group of individuals, followers of Jesus Christ. And they began to do something that they normally were not able to do. They began to speak in languages known unto the dialect at that time so that others could understand what they were saying. It wasn't gibberish. My God's not a God of gibberish, amen? He speaks clearly. His word is easy to understand. He doesn't hide information from us. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't take some secret oath. You take upon yourself the open display of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They spoke so that men in that particular realm, only known in that time from the regions that they came, they all understood in their own language, and it caused a great question. What is the meaning of this? Now that we are up to speed, we come to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And we don't even get past the second word that's written there where we have to stop and comment. But Peter. What we know about Peter goes as a mist in the morning dissipates because now we see a new individual. But Peter, one who just most likely 40 to 42, 43 days earlier said, or 50, 52, 53 days earlier said, I don't know who he is. John chapter 18. It's the same Peter that after Jesus was crucified and 
was put in the tomb. Pete looks at his buddies and says, let's go fishing. He began to revert back to what he knew in a previous life. He had forgotten the promise that Jesus said to him, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He went back to fishing for fishes. And while he's out in the boat doing what he knew to be doing, he looks and he sees Jesus on the shore. And Jesus said, bring it in, boys. Let's have some breakfast. We're in John chapter 20 now. 21. And it's there that Jesus confronts Peter with one question. Peter, do you love me? That had to shake Peter's life. In other words, Peter had enough information. But what he lacked was the power to be able to share that information. And so when we come to Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, but Peter, all of a sudden now, he is totally different than he was a little over 50 days prior to this. How about your life? You know, some of you most likely are getting toward the spiritual birthday of decades gone by. Yet, could you be like Peter? But, Doug, even before taking the position of pastor, which I'm so grateful that God has allowed me the privilege to serve. Some of you would have known me in my earlier days. You would have shook your head and said, he'll never amount to anything. We become, but you put your name in there because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it says, but Peter stood and began to speak. He who once ran now is standing. He who once was silent is now speaking. Because of what the Holy Spirit did in his life. In other words, he was changed dramatically he went from only being satisfied of being a follower of Jesus Christ to now being a leader for the church of Jesus Christ he went from words that got him in trouble to now speaking words that declared the greatness of his God 
He was changed. A good question to contemplate in our own lives is, how much has the Holy Spirit changed you? It causes me great duress when I see individuals who proclaim that they've trusted Christ and yet there doesn't seem to be much of a change in their lives. Peter stood and he lifted his voice and he began to proclaim truth. First he said, no, they're not drunk. It's only the third hour. It's nine o'clock in the morning. According to Jewish custom, no one would eat anything prior to nine o'clock because they needed to go to the temple to offer, if you will, their gifts, their sacrifices, whatever. And then after that is when they would eat. So Peter says, get that out of your mind. In other words, what was happening was not man-made by drink. It was God-made by demonstration. Holy Spirit showed up. And people were changed. And he reminded the individuals of a passage that they all would have been familiar with when he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Thus the connection between the two passages. Peter said, this is what he had to say. And it shall come to pass in the last days that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my, on my men servants and on my maidservants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are we in this time? The answer is easy. Yes, we are. But there's many underlying questions still that remain from this passage. Are we in the last days? Yes, we are. In fact, the last days literally began when Jesus Christ was ascended into glory. 
The coming of the Holy Spirit known on the day of Pentecost not only instituted what we know to be the church, but it also instituted what is related to in the scriptures as being the last days. There's another day coming. A day when a king of kings and lord of lords comes. Revelation chapter. Revelation chapter 19. In between those two advents. Is what is called the last days. And we are smack dab. I'm hoping toward the end of them. I want Jesus to come. And the rest of you, you can hang out here if you want, but I want to go home. And I think all of you do too. We are in the last days. We have been given the promise of Holy Spirit. Each and every time an individual of this earth raises their heart to ask Jesus and to believe in his finished work, we are instantly endowed with the same promise of the Spirit being poured out in our lives. Notice the intent of this pouring out. It covers everybody. Whether young, whether old, whether male, whether female, whether Jew, whether Gentile, the Spirit of God is poured out on all who will believe. But we have these underlying questions. Well, what about prophecy? What about visions? What about dreams? Are are they evident for today? Well, that's a totally different question. But it's well worth answering in this session. Now, Now I must have you turn to a passage that can also be Uh, bounced around in the halls of theology, if you wish. But turn with me, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's an interesting phrase that the Apostle Paul uses. That we draw our attention to. 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 10. Let's pick up the context of verse 9. For we know in part. And we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come. Then that which is in part. Will be done away. Now you're all thinking, what's he talking about? Do an extensive study on this passage and you'll find a few arguments. But the 
The argument that I fall on is the descriptiveness of the word, that which is perfect. What does that word mean? The word perfect in and of itself is not in relative to a person. It is speaking of something else. Non-human, if you will, in the context of the passage. So in other words, what is the perfect thing when it comes? That it does away with that part. The Greek word is teleos, meaning complete. Nothing to be added to. I believe that to be relevant to what we hold in our hands this morning, the finished word of God. There doesn't need to be any more visions cast. Because the last vision that we have recorded is in the book of the Revelation. It's what John saw, and he communicated to us. Prophecy is, in its finest, if you will, descriptiveness, is not giving us a new introduction into a different program of God. No. Prophecy is speaking the truth that comes from The word of God. But what about dreams? Lately I've been having some weird dreams at night. I doubt that they have anything to do with God trying to get my attention. So what are we describing? What is John, what is Peter describing in the book of Acts when he talks about these dreams, when he talks about these visions, when he talks about these particular prophets, prophecies? Let me give you a few places for you to turn. And you can do this later. Remember the thesis statement of the book of Acts, the proof that Jesus Christ is resurrected and what that means to a life who is surrendered to him. You've got to remember that. In Acts chapter 21, verses 9 and verse 10, we are introduced to some young ladies in verse 9. They belong to an individual by the name of Philip the Evangelist. They are Philip's daughters. And it calls them in this particular text daughters who prophesied. A fulfillment 
of what Peter had already said upon our men servants and upon our maid servants, they shall prophesy. In verse 10, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down to Judea. And he did something miraculous. He took Paul's belt and he wrapped it around, Agabus wrapped it around his own wrists and he said, the owner of this belt is going to be handed over for death. Paul knew who it was and everyone else did because everyone else tried to convince Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go man. Stay home. We'll protect you. But Paul said, how can I not fulfill the, word of, the will of God for my life? As far as visions go, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 55 Stephen, before he was stoned to death, looked up into heaven and saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, Saul is on the road to Damascus and he is met by Jesus. Oh, that's a sermon for another time. You've all been on a road to Damascus. You all were going away from God, but he showed up. And he showed his light of glory around you. And it was by grace through faith that you trusted in him. And you said, Lord, is it you? Yes, it's me. That's what Saul saw. Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 10, Peter is asleep on a housetop. And he sees the vision of a sheet that is lowered to him. And the word of heaven says, eat all of it. Pete, being a good Jewish man, said, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat of that. It took three times for Pete to be convinced. Eat all of it. And then he went to Cornelius' house. And he came away with the understanding that even the gospel and the Holy Spirit has even come to the Gentiles. The next vision is recorded in Acts chapter 22 and verse 17. As Paul is arrested in Jerusalem. And as they're starting to take him away, he says to the guards, can I speak for a moment? And he begins to share his testimony. And in that testimony, he shares his vision of seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus.
But what about dreams? We got a whole book full of dreams. It's called the book of the Revelation. Where John says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, I was in a trance. And then all of a sudden, I was transported to heaven. And he began to write for us the final prophecy that is ever needed. So much so that as the book closes, he said, if anyone adds to this or takes away from this, may all the curses that have been written fall upon that individual. It's finished. So are we in this day? Yes, we are. And it will be ultimately consummated when Jesus Christ returns. So take heart, dear people. We are now in a place, we are in a time of when the power of the Holy Spirit can still act in us, whereby we no longer become deniers of Jesus, but we become declarers of Jesus. We no longer run away from people, we run to them. We're no longer satisfied and sitting, we would rather stand to proclaim. That is what the Spirit of God will do in your life as he did it in Peter's life. The question is, will you let him? Will you allow the Holy Spirit of God to rule and reign in your life so dynamically that people will look at you and say, what is the meaning of this? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence and your power. Lord, and I would ask that we would not be satisfied with any less than that. That you would transform our lives. That what we say and what we do causes individuals to ask questions What's the meaning of this? And yet, your word reminds us that we are to be ready to give an answer, the hope that lies within us to anyone who would ask. That can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit who wants to work in and through us. May that be our desire. May that be our passion. That as your word closes in Acts chapter 2 recorded for us. So powerful was that display that thousands came to trust in you and you alone that day. And were added to the church. To you be the glory. Amen.